Good morning. It's on. How are y'all? Um, just a reminder that uh, May 2nd is our last um, awake. And so on May 2nd, what we do is, is we're going to have everybody come up and, and share a two to three minute testimony if you want to, just about what God's done for you. It's really fun. And we just kind of like to end our year with uh, celebration and and uh, remembering all that God has done. Um, I wanted to speak today about unresolved disappointment. I don't know if anybody has ever been disappointed in their life, but I know I certainly have been in that place. And what's fascinating, like Casey and I were talking about on the phone yesterday, is that when you're going to give a message, you get to live the message. And I feel like... Not only have I had disappointment, but I feel like I've been dealing with other people's disappointment lately. I'm like, wow, I'm so ready to talk about this and be done because it's just not fun. Um, I first wanted to tell y'all, you know, when I get up here, I always draw a correlation with what's going on in our life. So, you know, track season's over. Um, as I was telling Mal yesterday, I said, you know, the, the Jews live by the Hebrew calendar. I feel like I live by the academic and athletic calendar. So Virginia asked me, what's next? It's spring football, so which means getting up at 4.30, getting Richard to school at 6. So um, that's kind of where I am right now. But what I wanted to share with you was a story from track season about a particular female athlete that I got to witness um, every week. I want to say we were at eight different track meets, and these track meets are never in a easy location. I mean, you're driving an hour to places that I sometimes I couldn't find on my phone. It's just crazy. You're down in all these different districts. And anyway, the first time I went to the track meet and I, I, I saw Melanie race, she races um, with Richard School. She's, I believe she's a sophomore. I cried the whole time. Melanie races the 200 individual and then she races the 400. The 200 is halfway around the track. The 400 is a full way around the track. And the 400, a very grueling race because you're sprinting the entire time. And the thing about Melanie is sometimes uh, when, she, when they lined up, Melanie always knew she was going to come in last. See, Melanie's a wheelchair athlete. And so when she lined up with everyone else, she knew that, that all the girls were going to finish before her. But, you know, she was racing for her heart. Like, this was a race inside of her. This was not a race where she would set up to beat anyone other than she's racing for her. And sometimes at different meets, Melanie would race alone. So they'd go ahead and run the 200, and then Melanie would be alone. And I thought, oh, the determination on this girl, y'all, to get out there and, and literally go and go to the beat of her own heart, knowing that her race is a race that she does alone, knowing that she can't worry about where they're finishing and comparing herself, that she has to, to go with determination because, you know, it'd be easy to get really disappointed and frustrated. And she was never that way. I mean, she was always ready. And that 400, it is a long, long time away around that track. And by the end of the track season, you know, I'm up there, I'm yelling, I'm excited. But the first time I ever saw it, I mean, I just, I was like, wow, Lord, this is incredible. You know, disappointment, y'all, is so prevalent in our culture. And I felt like when I would watch Melanie, I thought, that is so much like our spiritual walk. We will do it alone. It doesn't mean we have to be lonely, but I can't, I can't walk out Casey's salvation. She has to walk it out. I, I, 
no one else can run my race. I have to run my race. I can either run it with determination or I can run it with disappointment. Because here is the deal. We are gonna encounter disappointment pretty much on a daily basis. And the problem with disappointment is that it really wants to be a theme in our life. It isn't something that we just come up like, trauma will be something that we may experience occasionally or we experience, but disappointment is, is a daily thing. You know, I'm disappointed that uh, my toenail is falling off on my big toe right now. I'm disappointed that, I mean, you know, you can think about all different, I'm disappointed about maybe something with the kids or disappointed with a, a career situation or disappointed with a dynamic in my marriage, whatever it is. We're gonna face this on many different levels all the time. So, so it kind of reminded me of, we can look out there and see everyone else, what we think, finishing first, and feel like, wow, I'm last, or wow, I'm never going to catch up, or wow, I'll just give up. And I will tell you what was fascinating, two different times at two different track meets, I saw two kids give up for no reason. One, he was in a relay, the third, like, he realized they were going to come in last, and he just kind of gave up, and I thought... I'm going to tell you what, if that was my kid, and I told my son when we got in the car, I said, let me just tell you about this kid. And if that is you, I am coming down there myself with a wooden spoon, and I'll pull your pants down and spank you because you're going to act like a fighter. And I said, that is ridiculous. That was just giving up. I mean, he was disappointed, so what did he do? He gave up. But, y'all, we do this emotionally. You know, it's, it's funny how the things like this correlate with our emotional walk because... The enemy does want to come and, and wants us to choose to be, to be a victim, to be disappointed, to believe, you know, not only is this disappointing, but we're disappointing, and God's disappointed in us. And when we do that, we do just kind of give up. And a lot of times I ask someone, I say, if you feel like your faith life is stagnant, I want you to check for disappointment. If you feel like there's somewhere in your faith walk where you are stagnant, check for disappointment. Because what happens is we sort of uh, take on a spirit of resignation. Like, well, this is just how it is. It's just how it is what it is. It's useless. It is what it's going to be. I mean, what's the point? And resignation is actually a form of rebellion because it sets us up to have a mindset that is opposed to God. Because if we're resigned, we're not expecting God to do anything. We're not expecting anyone to do anything. We're not expecting this to change. We're just living in the disappointment and allowing it to have a voice. I believe that the whole basis for disappointment, the whole foundation of it, the whole way we allow it to come into our life is um, out of self-preservation and self-protection. Because we think, well, if I just expect to be disappointed, then uh, it's a false comfort. Then I don't give myself a false hope. We, be, we become afraid of it, so we, we really do lower our expectations, not only in ourselves and in others, but in God. We don't expect God to move, and we become afraid of the false hope. I really think that at the heart of disappointment is that we don't expect God to speak to us, or touch us, or meet us. So we don't, we don't ask. We don't seek. We become afraid that if we ask Him, we're not going to hear anything. We become afraid that if we start to to seek him, nothing's going to happen. Be like, well, it may happen for you, but it doesn't happen for me, so I'm just going to hold back. And we feel like, well, it's just, it's just best if I don't expect anything from God. I mean, I'll just come and get information, and maybe a few things will make me feel good, but I don't want to expect too much of him. 
And what's interesting, y'all, is we are actually hardwired for relationship. So when we are not in a relationship with God or we're not expecting God to move on our behalf or we're not expecting to hear from God, what because we're so hardwired for relationship, we're going to turn and we're going to seek fulfillment in other ways. We're going to seek fulfillment of that void in unhealthy and toxic ways. See, um, people a lot of times will, when I talk about inner healing prayer, they may feel resistant to that because... They don't understand what it really is, is inner hearing. When you can hear God and God and you feel like God hears you, then the healing starts to happen. So a lot of times I have to explain inner healing prayer is us setting you up to connect with God so that you would hear God for yourself and that you would feel heard by God. And that's where the healing happens. That's why it works. It's really inner hearing prayer. And, you know, has many of you ever thought, okay, I'm going to ask God and, and not gotten anything or feel like, well, I don't hear anything. Has that ever happened? When I was preparing for this message, that was happening. And I'm like, wow, okay, 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 I see how we're going to do this. Because it's really that nothing, when you're not getting anything, I said, all right, well, Jesus, what does nothing want me to believe right now? I mean, just turn it back around on the enemy. I thought, okay, if there's something blocking me receiving this message, then I'm going to say, all right, Jesus, what is nothing wanting me to believe right now? And I want you to try that. That's kind of a little, uh, a little key. When you feel like I'm asking God for something and I'm not hearing anything, just say, God, what is, what is nothing wanting me to believe? Or I'm not hearing anything wanting me to believe. Just go around it. You know, the enemy thinks he'll just kind of put up this big front like you can't hear. Well, then, Lord, what is can't hear wanting me to believe? What's your truth on that? And when I did that, all of a sudden, everything started to shift and to come into place. You know, we experience disappointment when um, relationships break, when, think, when there's a void, when we feel defeat, when our expectations and others aren't met, uh, when our plans that we've worked on seem to come to nothing, when we have unexpected experiences, when relationships break, like I mentioned earlier, career, kids, all of that. Every expectation we have has the potential for disappointment unless it is in him. Every single expectation we have has the potential for disappointment unless our expectations are in him. I remember last spring having a situation with our youngest who I was incredibly disappointed in. Incredibly disappointed and so disappointed that I, I cried a lot about it. Until one day I heard the Lord say, it has to hurt. I've got him. And I was so, so covered in disappointment that I couldn't hear God. And when God finally broke in and began to speak, the disappointment lifted. And I realized I need to focus on God and let God deal with my son and let God deal with my heart. See, disappointment was wanting to just to come in and say, this is how it's going to be. We, we have that little colloquialism in our culture. It is what it is. But Jesus never talked that way. Jesus never said it is what it is. And, and I catch myself, or when I hear people say that, I catch and I say, that's not truth. That's not biblical truth. And we have to take everything back to the word of God. Jesus doesn't disappoint us. That's one of the things when people come for prayer that are in a lot of pain or in a uh, physical, facing physical illness. And I can think of several different instances where um, 
sometimes when we ask them to bring family members if they're going to get physical healing, and some of the family members are like, well, you're giving them false hope because you're praying for them to get healed. And I remind them that Jesus doesn't disappoint. And my expectations are in him. My expectations are not in an outcome. Am I going to pray for healing? Yes, I am, because this is what he told me to do. But Jesus does not disappoint. He does not disappoint. And I thought, you know, what if we woke up every morning with the expectation of God's going to speak to me all day today? What if we came here on Wednesday mornings going, you know what, God is going to meet me. He's going to speak to me. What if we went to bed every night thinking, you know what, God, you're going to speak in my dreams. What would we be like if our expectations were knowing that every moment, everywhere I am, anywhere I am, no matter what I'm doing, God wants to connect with me. The power in just having our expectations set on him versus going, waking up and going, oh my gosh, okay, what do I have to get done today? All right, I got to do this, this and that. And then our expectations are already sort of sinking down into the disappointment of, oh my gosh, it's so mundane. It's so boring. I have to do this. I've got to do this. Oh my gosh, I'm dreading this. Then dread moves in. But if we woke up with that, Lord, I'm excited. You're going to speak to me all day today. No matter what I'm doing, if I'm doing the laundry, if I'm working at the computer, it doesn't matter what I'm doing, God, but you're going to be speaking with me all day. Then all of a sudden we're set up we're setting ourselves up for an encounter with him. And then disappointment really doesn't have a voice in our life. It can't be the theme because it really does want a permanent residency. And I see it so much in our culture because it's been so welcomed. Because we're so good at being victims and not overcomers. Because that's just kind of how our culture moves. You know, I think about... Um, in, right in the beginning of the book of Acts, where the apostles are told to wait, Jesus says, wait in Jerusalem. So I'm thinking, you know, we don't have a lot of detail on that 40 days. It's actually the time period we're in right now. We don't have a lot of detail on that 40 days, but they waited with full expectation. Even though it was disappointing, even though I'm sure it was confusing, and I bet they quarreled among themselves. Do we go to the temple? Do we stay here? Do we wait? Do we go to this house? Do we go to that house? Well, Peter, you're pushy. Well, John, you're too soft. You know, I'm sure there was this, all this dialogue going on, but they had full expectation that God was going to speak and meet them. They had full expectation. You know, we don't, a lot of times what happens is we wake up and we let um, the duties of the day speak, Versus saying, okay, Lord, I want to bind my will to your will. My want for your will today, God. Whatever it is. We just don't think to do it. You know, this, this brain is a muscle. We have to train it. So these things where we put on our radar of, I want to wake up full of expectation, just like the apostles did in that 40-day period, waiting, knowing that you're going to speak. And I think what's also interesting is we also get in this position where we feel like we need to steward other people's disappointment. And then we start moving into this fix-it mode, you know? And instead of encouraging them to connect with God and search out his word, we move in to fix it. Well, I mean, we can do this with our kids or our spouse or maybe our parents very easily. And we feel like, you know, it's my job to steward their disappointment. And Jesus never went into fix-it mode. Like, you never saw him be like, here, look, let me pick up your mat for you. Okay, look, look, I'll help you to the pool. And, and right here, well, what, maybe if you go over here, you can. You don't see Jesus organizing people like that. He says, get up, walk. Your sins are forgiven. Be healed. Be free. You know, whatever it is, he, he spoke to the solution because he was the solution. He spoke for them to get healed. So it's, it's what is it about us that we feel like, 
not only don't I don't believe God's going to move in my life, I'm not believing God's going to move in your life, so it's my job to steward your disappointment. And I think it is the most unhealthy position I can take when I start to try to fix things for other people. I think it's, it's um, as women, it's probably one of the hardest things that we, we face because we're so good at doing so many things, especially emotionally, taking on more than maybe uh, we even have capacity for, that what happens is we end up automatically trying to fix everything for everybody. And what's happening when I do that is I'm actually setting you up to have a, a victim spirit and a spirit of codependency. And I'm not being pulled by the Holy Spirit. I'm being pulled by the need to be needed. And that's not God. Jesus was not pulled by the need to be needed. Jesus moved out of compassion, not pity. And pity is actually very demonic because it cripples people. It atrophies their spirit. It does not empower and encourage them. It makes them feel useless and pitiful. And that's not what Jesus did. You know, when we pray for something do, and we don't get it, y'all, do we try again or we, do we just give up? Do we keep going or we just say, well, I didn't see it happen. I didn't see it manifest, so I'm just going to give up. Because we're so used to, I hit this button and I get what I want. Well, prayer is a contending. And contending means I am going to keep at it for a long time. It is part of our walk as a Christian, or our whole walk, is that we are on a pilgrimage. Which means I'm going to continue to contend. Some things may happen fast. Some things may take a long time. But I will always stay in relationship and I will always have my expectancy on Jesus Christ. I will know that God will not disappoint. He did not say I come to disappoint, but he said I come to teach you how to be an overcomer. Not someone who hides under the covers and hopes that things just go away on their own. He came to bring us a victorious mindset, which is why we have to really, really work at... Um, Understanding what, what are we allowing in our thoughts. You know, we either have a listening and a believing heart or a victim heart. And the victim heart is the one that always just sort of wallows in disappointment. I don't know if any of y'all know Todd White. He's probably one of my heroes in the faith now in our generation. But uh, Todd was sharing uh, the other day. I listened to his podcast. He's just hilarious. I know Lacey does too. She and I, we love him. Um, he was sharing this dream an atheist had that was sharing with him. And the atheist said in a dream that all of a sudden he's in this big field and there's a fence that's running down the middle of the field. And on one side, um, he can see, clearly understand Jesus and, and believers on one side. And it's a beautiful, it's light-filled, it feels very peaceful. And he said on the other side, he can clearly see that it's, it's the devil. But the devil doesn't have horns, he looks more like a Spanish prince. Very handsome, but just there's a darkness and an evilness, and he knows that's the devil. And then he said there's just a fence running down the middle, and so he knows that he's uh, in a place of which one is he going to choose. Well, he just chooses to sit on the fence. And then he said all of a sudden the scene changes, and the devil says, well, I'm glad you chose me. And he's like, I didn't choose you. And he said, well, the fence is mine. And he said in the dream he repented and gave his life to Jesus Christ because he knew exactly what was going to happen. See, in Revelations, Jesus says you're neither hot nor cold, you're lukewarm. And I want to tell you that lukewarm is more dangerous than being hot or cold because I can convert someone who is cold because I can give them an encounter with Jesus. But if you're on the fence and you're lukewarm and you're just disappointed in life and you're resigned and you're in rebellion, it is going to be very hard to ever get you to understand that the power and the love of Jesus Christ will overcome everything in your life. It's very important that we understand that. 
Disappointment will dilute your passion. It will put you on the fence. You know, God's order is his word, our belief in his word, and then the experience and the feeling comes. It's very important that you get that God's order is his word, our belief in his word, and then the experience and the feeling comes with that. He wants us to take him at his word and go ahead and count the thing as ours, as he promised, and then the experience will come after that. He is adamant about that, that you take him at his word, count what he has promised already as yours, whether you have it or not, and then the experience will happen. We must make our feelings submit to our faith. The other day I was dealing with something that was wanting disappointment to have a really big voice in, and I was like, right now, my feelings, I command you to come under the authority of Jesus Christ. I mean, I was saying it out loud, y'all. Because you know, when, when these, these uh, disappointment or fear, whatever it is, it, things get really large and feel really large on the inside. And I was like, no, in the name of Jesus, feelings, you will submit to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And I said it over and over and over until it got smaller and smaller and smaller. We are to take every thought captive, every thought captive and we are to hold it up to the Bible and say does this line up or not does this line up with God's word or not because it's his order his word our belief in his word and then the experience and the feeling comes oftentimes in our culture we want the experience and the feeling then we go okay I, I believe it now I believe it and that's not how God works God is much more interested in who we are becoming than what we have done or didn't do or what we're feeling God is not disappointed in you God is not disappointed. He can never be disappointed in you. We cannot disappoint him. So when I asked the Lord, okay, Lord, well, how do we walk this out? He took me to 2 Timothy. And that's where I'm going to go. If you have your Bible and you want to open it up, I'm going to be in 2 Timothy on how do we deal with disappointment? How do we walk this out? Um, I will say 2 Timothy is probably one of my favorite books in the Bible. It is Paul's last letter to his spiritual son, Timothy. He is preparing Timothy for a life without him. Paul knows he is going to die. He knows he is most likely going to get executed by the hands of the Romans. So what he is doing is implementing faithful instruction to Timothy in a time when both Paul and Timothy are probably extraordinarily disappointed that things are going this way. I think in this I think Paul, of anybody, really does um, do a great job of setting us up of, of where we are to go when things are not going our way. He's, he's saying to Timothy, no matter what is happening, this is what I want you to remember. So when it's Paul's last words, I really pay attention because he really begins to highlight, look, you've got to do this, this, and that. So I'm going to walk you through some of that. I honestly was like, gosh, I could just read the whole 2 Timothy and be like, all right, there you go. Let's, let's go for it. But um, God had a few things that he just wanted to highlight. All right, let's look um, 2 Timothy 1. And I'm gonna, I've highlighted and written in my book so much. This is verse 5. No, wait. Or 6, maybe. Okay. So 2 Timothy 1, the first one I want to point out, he, Paul is writing to Timothy and he says, For this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. Fan into flame. In other words, get off the fence, let your passion ignite, and do not hold back from God. 
Let God have all that you are, and you go after all that he is. This is an intentional pursuit when he says, fan into flame. So, when we get into disappointment, or even grief, or loss, or whatever it is, or fear, we are going to fan into flame. We are going to get off the fence, and we are going to ignite our passion no matter how that looks. And one way that looks is you even just showing up here on a Wednesday morning. You know, maybe it's praying, maybe it's reading your Bible, maybe it's turning on worship music. Just immediately say, I'm going to fan into flame the gifts of God right now. I'm going to make, take an intentional stake in the ground and I'm going to press in. I'm not going to let this thing have its way. Uh, the second thing I want to point out is then in verse number seven, he says, For God did not give us a spirit of timidity, some Bible versions say fear, but a spirit of power of love and self-discipline. Some uh, versions say sound mind. Be aware. He's basically saying, Timothy, if you ever feel afraid, that's not from God. And this is not talking about godly fear. Godly fear is a reverence, a deep awe of the Lord. What he's talking about is just the fear that comes over us. And you know, fear is not something that um, it comes from within us. It's something that kind of comes over us and makes us want to crouch down and crouch back. And he's saying that's not from God. What's from God is, is power, love, and a sound mind. He is going to move in power and in love, and he's going to give you a sound mind where you're not going to feel double-minded. That's from God. It doesn't mean we're not going to be tempted, but what he's saying is that uh, to, to be afraid, but God's grace will meet us there. Uh, moving on to verse 8, he says, Do not be ashamed to testify about our Lord or ashamed of me, his prisoner, but join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who has saved us and called us to a holy life. Not because of anything we've done, but because of his own purpose and grace. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time, but it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus who has destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. And of this gospel, I was appointed a herald, an apostle, and a teacher. This is why I'm suffering as I am, yet I am not ashamed, because I know whom I believed, and I'm convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him for that day. The bottom line he's saying here is Jesus Christ came for our salvation. He died to give us identity, and he rose to give us authority. You realize Jesus Christ came for your salvation. Your salvation meaning, one, you'd go to heaven, two, that he would restore wholeness to your soul. He died to give us identity, meaning we died with Jesus Christ. The old man in us died when Jesus Christ died, and we are given a new identity. We are born again. He rose to give us authority. Luke ten nineteen says, Behold, I give you authority that you will trample on uh, snakes and scorpions, and nothing by any means shall harm you. All authority is given to us because of Jesus Christ. And Paul is saying, don't ever, ever forget this, the victory of the cross. It doesn't matter what you hear. It doesn't matter what people say. You remember the victory in what Christ Jesus gave you. And he is adamant about that. In fact, if you, when you read in the book of Acts, the only thing Peter and John and all of them ever spoke of was the cross of Jesus Christ. It was the central message to every single thing. And every time they spoke, the message and the power of the cross, people were healed emotionally and physically just by hearing. Which, which tells us it is the most important thing. I could stand up here every single week and say the same thing over and over because the message of the cross never gets old. 
And it's the power, it's the authority, it's the identity, it's everything that we are is in that message. And Paul is urging Timothy, don't be ashamed of this. Don't hide it, don't dilute it, own it, take it, and share it. Then if you go to um, verse 13, he says, What you have heard from me, keep as the pattern of sound teaching with faith and love in Christ Jesus. Guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. What the world wants to dilute, you will guard. The word of God that is in you, the deposit of the Lord's DNA that is in you, he says, guard that. You know, the world's going to say, hey, it's okay to do this. It's okay to open these doors. It's not going to really matter. And Paul's like, no, you've got to guard, guard your heart. You've got to guard what the Lord has put in there. And you don't have to do it alone. The Holy Spirit is going to help you. Protect your purity. Protect your innocence. Moving on to 2 Timothy 2, verse 1, he says, You then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. His strength is our strength. We think for some reason we've got to pull on this strength that's going to come up out of us, but it's his strength that's inside of us. And grace is actually the operational power of God that comes upon us. So he's saying, Timothy, be strong in God's grace. Things are going to happen. You're going to feel weak. You're going to be scared to get up and speak. You might be scared to share something. You may have situations where you feel like your life is in danger, but be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. It is a gift, and that's something that we get to hold on to as well. Uh, Verse 3 says, Endure hardship with us like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. This is the one thing that no one really likes to talk about, but we're all going to endure hardship. We're all going to endure that. And enduring hardship well is um, a privilege we have as Christians. And helping others endure hardship well. Jesus Christ is your focus. When you're going through hardship, make sure your focus is Jesus Christ and not the problem. You know, I was talking to George the other day about something that she was struggling with. I said, George, I said, we've got two ways to look at this, hon. I said, you can see this as a problem or you can see this as an opportunity where your faith can really propel you through this. What's your choice? Because I want her to have a victorious mindset. I don't want her to have a mindset that, wow, this is happening and and I'm a victim and oh my gosh, can you believe it? And let me just talk about it. No, I wanted her to see, wow, this really can be an opportunity where I can use my faith to propel me, enduring hardship well. So what we behold, we become. In other words, if all I'm focusing on is the hardship and the problem and the weight and the heaviness and the oppression and the depression, that will overtake me. And it will come out of my conversation. It'll come out of my actions, what I do or don't do. But if I allow Jesus Christ to be my focus, then I will find the strength and the grace that I need to endure the hardship well. And I will be able to help others endure hardship well. And you do it in community. If y'all were here last week, I think one of the the great things Casey said or she drew on the board was that picture of of God, the way that he's surrounding us when we're in a time of grief or loss. And then there's community on the other side. You know, God was here and then he's pulling in that kingdom community. I think that's one of the things that we've really worked to establish here at Christ Healing Center, especially here at Awake, is that you would feel like you have a community so that you could endure the hardship well and not alone. Um, verse, uh, verse nine says, and I love this, but God's word is not chained. 
Y'all, the word of God is infallible seed. In other words, when the, I mean, me just reading this right now, the word of God is going out and it's infallible. It is going to plant and it is going to be seeded and God is going to grow it. And we cannot go wrong when you're like, gosh, I don't even know what to pray. Then grab your Bible and just start praying. Just pray the word. The word of God is un- infallible and it cannot be chained or contained or diminished or diluted. It can only be not spoken. So let's speak it. Let's speak it more. Let's, let's, let's work through the application of his word because God works in our life through application and appropriation. We apply his word and we appropriate the blood of Jesus. That's how he works in our lives. So when we speak the word of God, we know that it will go out and accomplish all that God has for it. It's not our job to get in there and fix it and, and make sure it's doing that. No, it's our, God to, it's our job to speak out so that it can go and accomplish. And he will see, see it through to the end. Um, the next verse I want to point out is 2 Timothy 15. He says, Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a workman who does not need to be ashamed. And who correctly handles the word of truth. Avoid godless chatter because those who indulge in it will become more and more ungodly. Pointing out here that he talks about correctly handling the word of truth. Meaning avoid gossip. Avoid judgment. It is hard when people want to call and talk about their problems. And we want to get sucked in and begin to judge. But he's saying don't do that. Because one, it's not growing your spirit man. And what's going to happen is it's going to suck you into a place of judgment, and it's not our place to judge. You know, we end up becoming what we judge. It's that unrighteous judgment, whereas what I judge you for, it then comes upon me. And so instead of judgment, we just avoid the godless chatter. And we bless and release and quickly move on. That's one of the things I try to teach the kids is say, hey... If someone's trying to suck you into that, you just bless them, you remove yourself, and you release and move on. And God will watch over his word. Um, In verse 20, he says, In a large house there are articles not only of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay. Some are for noble purposes and some for ignoble. If a man cleanses himself from the latter, he will be an instrument for noble purposes, made holy, useful to the master, and prepared to do any good work. Be an instrument for noble purposes. And this is an intentional position. It's not a striving position. It's just saying, I want to be an instrument for noble purposes, for God's purposes. I want to wake up with the expectation God is going to speak to me today. I want to catch the disappointment when it comes across my radar and say, you know what? You're not from God. I want to seek him and ask him, God, what are you saying? And that's the way that we become an instrument for his purposes. It's not something where we sit and we hope that one day this sort of evolves. There's a participation level that comes. God wants you to intentionally seek him as he is intentionally seeking you. In verse 22, Paul says to flee the evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Pursue the right way. If you were here several weeks ago in February, we talked about righteousness and how it is not, not a behavior modification, but it's a spiritual impartation. A spiritual impartation of God showing us the right way because he is the way. So he's saying pursue him. Pursue him. Pursue love and peace. And in community, along with those who are calling on the Lord out of a pure heart. Going down to um, chapter 3, verse 1, he says, But mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. 
People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of God, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of the Lord, having a form of godliness but denying its power. This is a warning. Y'all, this is what deception looks like. People wonder, well, how do we get deceived? Right there. That's what deception looks like. You want to you uh, train up your discernment? Read that, understand, and say, all right, Lord, show me. Show me where if any of these are happening in my life. I want to train my discernment to line up with your word. This is how deception moves in. People say, well, I just don't even know how I was deceived. Well, these are the ways that it, it moves into our life. Very insidious, very unknowing, because we're not uh, being intentional about what we're allowing in and out of our life. Moving down to verse 12, he says, uh, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Um, No one really likes this verse (laughs) because no one really wants to ever think about persecution. And, you know, it doesn't always mean as a death, as a martyr, but it also means that we get persecuted in our relationships or our families. You know, they don't always want to line up with, with the word of God or we get criticized for our faith. That's what he's talking about. In uh, knowing, and just by letting Timothy know, look, this is going to come your way. What he was trying to set Timothy up for is don't be surprised. Like, don't let this stuff surprise you so much that it it takes you off course. Keep your focus on Jesus. This is going to happen. You're going to feel persecuted. You're going to endure hardship. There's going to be godless chatter. People are going to do all this crazy stuff. Don't let any of this take you off course of what you've been called to do, which is to be made in the image of God and to bring heaven here on earth. Don't let this stuff distract you. Then he goes on to say, um, down in verse 16, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. I think it is so important that we make a decision whether or not we believe that the Bible is the word of God or not. I really do. I think that you are all going to be called to a place in your life where you're going to have to decide, is this God's word or not? Is all scripture God breathed or not? And Paul's making it really clear to Timothy, like, don't waver. This has to be foundational in everything you do and everything you say. And the same goes for us. Because right now we're in a, living in a time where people want to say, well, let's take a little bit of this. Well, let's take a little bit of that. Well, you know, I don't know if that really applies anymore. That was back then. Let's take this out of context. Let's, let's try to make it more posh. Let's make it a little bit more fun. Let's, let's do, we can't do that. We either believe that this is the word of God or not. And that it was inspired by the Holy Spirit and written on our, for our behalf or not. And I think we're all going to be called to make that decision. Uh, In chapter 4, he says, In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing in his kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word of God. Be prepared in and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to miss. But you keep your head in all situations, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, discharge all the duties of your ministry. Be prepared. Fill up with this word. 
You never know who you're going to meet. You never know what's coming when you walk out of here today. Be prepared. And the way you do that is staying in kingdom community, staying in his presence, staying in his word, being filled up so that whatever comes your way, you're not taken off course because the enemy does prowl around like a roaring lion waiting to devour us. And the world will devour us and, and erode us in ways if we're not aware and if we're not intentional about how great our God is, how good our God is. If we can't share that with people, then they really don't have any hope. Then, then we are just giving people false hope because it's like, well, it's going to get better someday. That really doesn't help anybody. But if I go in and I say, let me tell you something. Jesus loves you and Jesus doesn't disappoint. And let's pray because I want you to encounter Jesus right now, wherever you are, wherever your heart is, whatever's going on in your life. I want you to know that Jesus is for you. That changes everything. That changes everything. And for in, in closing his final words, I love what Paul says about himself. Starting in verse 6, he says, For I am already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time has come for my departure. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. You realize he's encouraging himself. I, I doubt this was easy for Paul to write. Yes, he wanted to uh, encourage Timothy and really deposit this instruction, but I'm also in the end, you know he's encouraging himself because he's facing uncertainty. And I'm sure fear wanted to creep in. And I love how he begins to prophesy over himself that like, there is the crown of righteousness for me, and not only for me, but for everyone. You know that prophecy is memories of the future. You know that's what prophecy is. It's a memory of the future, of what is to come, of what is to come. God wants to fill your mind with what is ahead, not what is behind. So Paul begins to prophesy over himself so that he could set before himself what God is going to do. He wants a memory of the future, not what's happening now, not what's happened in the past. So y'all, as we, as I wrap up, I want to leave you with a couple of questions that maybe would help you when you are particularly facing disappointment. I want you to ask the Lord, and you can just write these down and, and do it in quiet time simply because I don't want to keep this any longer since it's almost 11. Um, I want you to ask Jesus, Jesus, what is disappointment wanting me to believe? Then when you get that answer, you can then say, okay, well, Jesus, if disappointment's wanting me to believe this, then what is your truth? What do you want me to believe? Then you can even ask Jesus, what is disappointment wanting me to feel? Sometimes it may say that you're all alone, or you're never going to catch up, or... You can't do anything right. Those are kind of the ways that disappointment sounds. And then you say, well, Jesus, what is your truth? What do you want me to feel? And you can ask Jesus, what does disappointment want me to choose? It may want you to choose to quit, uh, to numb out, to get angry, to walk out on your marriage, to spank your kids, or not saying spanking's bad. Um, whatever it is, you know, disappointment will want you to choose something because you realize it doesn't have an identity outside of you. So it wants you to choose something. And then you go and say, well, Jesus, disappointment wants me to choose this, but what is your truth? What do you want me to choose? 
this is the way that we start to um, intersect that conversation. We, we, and this is the way that we intentionally allow the Lord to speak into our life. And if you go, let me just say this. If you start off the first question, Jesus, what is disappointment wanting me to believe? And you get nothing. And you feel like I'm not getting anything. Then I want you to stop and say, all right, Jesus, what is nothing wanting me to believe? You can't hear from God. God doesn't speak to you. But whatever it is. God doesn't want to be with you. God doesn't like you. And then you say, okay, Jesus, nothing wants me to believe that you don't like me. But Jesus, what's your truth? And Jesus always sounds like the word of God. The voice of God is always peaceful and comforting and soothing. It's not always the loud boom. So I want to close us in prayer. And then um, I'm going to be here to pray. And Casey's here to pray. And Glenn's here to pray if anyone would like prayer. Lord, I thank you that you do not disappoint. I thank you, Jesus, that you are always for us. I thank you, Lord, that you see the individual struggles we each have on a day-to-day basis. I thank you, Lord, that you are so aware of how we try so hard to fix things, not only for ourselves and for others. And I thank you, Father God, that today you're saying, stop. Stop and let me, let me take charge. So I just quiet every mind and every heart right now in this room. And I ask, Holy Spirit, that you would come and bring your peace and your comfort and your strategy. That, Lord, we would just say, no, we're not going to allow disappointment to be a theme in our life. That we are going to see everything that comes on our radar as an opportunity for us to believe in your word, to believe in your promises. So right now I release hope in this room and life in this room where things have felt stagnant, where faith has felt like it's atrophied. Lord, I ask you, bring it to life right now in Jesus' name. Holy Spirit, just bring it to life right now that they would begin to dream in color again, that they would begin to dream in songs again that they would know how to immediately encourage themselves and others. The encouragement would be the song of their heart. That they would immediately know how to prophesy over themselves and others. That they would know how to speak your life into themselves, Lord. That they would hear you, that they would be so divinely connected that nothing would interrupt that connection, Lord. Nothing. In fact, they would leave here today and say, I feel more connected to God than I ever have. Because I know that he is for me, and he's not disappointed in me. And I know that I can expect him to move and speak and touch me. I'm expectant today. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Y'all have a great week, and we'll see you next week.